This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential and happy holidays! I have a great Christmas show for you this week. It's with some of the incredible brains and talent behind Pixar Disney's critically acclaimed new film Soul, which is of course premiering on Christmas Day. Now, Soul is another one of those Pixar films that goes emotionally deep with themes that make both kids and adults think about the big things in life, often difficult and profound. It seems to me that Pixar has unlocked some sort of secret behind making films that appeal to all ages. And I've always been fascinated and even a bit jealous by the Pixar way of working. They have a brain trust where directors and creatives gather to critique and discuss the progress of their films. They put smart and passionate people in a room together and encourage them to be honest and open and discuss those big themes of life and how to apply them to their films. So I was excited to talk to Dana Murray. She's the Oscar-nominated producer for the film Lou, as well as the producer of Soul. And Pete Docter, one of the original members of that Pixar brain trust and the chief creative officer of Pixar. He's an Academy Award-winning animator, writer, producer, and the man behind Monsters, Inc., Up and Inside Out. And he's the director and co-writer of Soul. Now, this was a fascinating ride through their brains as we talked about that brain trust. We talked about the music and animation of those incredible jazz scenes in Seoul, working with great composers and consultants and creatives behind this movie, which is Pixar's first film with a black lead. And how, because of COVID, this is the first of 23 Pixar films that is not going to be released in theaters for the premiere, and if that was a difficult decision for them. So Soul really takes place in two worlds. In New York City, where jazz icon John Batiste composed the music, Jamie Foxx voices the role of Joe Gardner, a middle school band teacher who feels he's missed out of his life dream of being a successful jazz musician. Now, in a series of events, Joe is transported to the Great Before, a place where souls, including one voiced by Tina Fey, are developed before they go to Earth. Now, in this part, the music is composed by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Here is Soul. What the... What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Got it, go for it! Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first show's at 7. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say? Joe Gardner! <laughs> I did it! I got the gig! Must have been sudden for you. great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. 
look, I already know everything about Earth, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like uh, pizza. All right. Thank you guys for all the magic during these years from me on behalf of me and my kids. <laughs> uh, and cool. Dana, we go back to Lou all the time in my family. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's we, to hear. Thank you. Really like. So a while back, my five-year-old and I sat down to watch a movie and the Pixar lamp comes up and he goes, mom, I'll sit real close for when we cry. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, Pete, I wanted to ask you, the fact that me and my five-year-old can relate to an old man who loses his wife in Up or in Soul, a guy who's basically having a midlife crisis, what is the secret sauce in the Pixar writing that gets us to both to be at that level? <laughs> well, it's a good question. I'm not really sure if I know the answer because uh, each one has got its own thing, but maybe the answer is vulnerability, like getting into understanding like what makes people tick and what makes them, uh, like everybody wants to present a strong, I'm all put together, confident, out, you know, exterior facing, but inside we have these vulnerabilities. We have things that we're worried about and that uh, I think allows people to step in and understand them a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, that's my my guess at this point but are you saying that you've learned that the same it's the same for a kid and for an adult these vulnerabilities i think there are a lot of commons common things and uh you know sometimes they're the specifics are different but uh there's an understanding emotionally you know i, I remember um my kids when they were little babies they obviously couldn't understand what we were saying but they would pick up on emotion like if somebody's getting frenzy they would start going like wait what well, what's happening so it's almost like emotion is our first language before mm -hmm. we understand the words and that's exactly what we're that's like our our um the building blocks of every one of our films i think that's why several of my kids that the the figure the anger and in inside out has been a very impactful on them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that they can have that emotion so yeah. you were one of the original members of the so-called Pixar Brain Trust, but maybe, Dana, you could describe what that is for someone who doesn't know? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's evolved quite a bit. Um, I started 20 years ago, and it used to be kind of like the same eight or nine people that have been at the company for a long time. Like, it was Pete and Lee Unkridge and Andrew Stanton, and it was this, you know, group of people that have had made from the films from the very beginning. Now it's kind of evolved into um, each film gets to kind of pull together a group of their people that they trust and want to um, have a part of the, their journey the entire way through the film. Like we picked, I think for Soul, like nine or 10 people that they, they come in after every screening and we just talk about the film and, it, and we, we try to pick a diverse group of voices not people that just think like us because mm -hmm. then you know we won't they we won't be challenged so i think now every film has a different brain trust as it as it goes along so that's where you talk about those vulnerabilities you were mentioning pete yeah i think mm -hmm. people are able to speak pretty freely and sometimes somewhat brutally about what <laughs> works and what doesn't you know um that's what we okay Nobody wants that, but we do want the films to be good before we put them out. We'd rather have uh, the seven people in the room tell us it was lousy than millions of people around the world. So, you know, we really try to get the truth out of people. Um, 
And the great thing is, you know, these are typically other filmmakers. They're people that are going and working on their films. And uh, so we, they understand the challenges we're up against. They understand when you suggest something, what that actually means. Uh, and we get lots of great ideas from them, but it's also not a place that we need to, we don't need to follow exactly what the, the rules are, not mandates, you know, they're just right. suggestions. So Dana and I and, and our other collaborators, after those meetings, we get to hole up and say, well, what did you think of this? How, how can we, how can we solve this problem? Clearly this miscommunicated, people didn't get that, whatever it is. Right. David oh, yeah. one of our it's one of our great. cultural consultants and also he plays well, from Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. he we brought him in for one or two of our brain trusts and um, yeah, we, we caught we caught him on like I think it was actually a Hamilton podcast or something. We saw him say like he was talking about his Pixar experience. He's like, I am never writing a film there. That place is brutal. <laughs> Just Whoa. talking about them. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, oh yeah. I'm too sensitive. Well, I want to talk to you about the music in Seoul. It's really mind-blowing. I thought maybe, could you describe, um, Pete, what a session was like with John Baptiste, with Angela Bassett, with Trent mm. Reznor? I mean, was, did this happen before you actually started animating, and what could it look like? Yeah, it did in this case. So, you know, with the voices, we uh, record the actors first, and then we listen to the tracks, and the animators are inspired by that to create the the movement, the gestures, the expressions. We wanted the same thing with the music. So we recorded John Batiste, uh, and he grabbed a bunch of musicians that he had worked with before. The oldest one was Roy Haynes, who's like 92 or something like that, maybe older, 95. He's the wow. drummer on, on a lot yeah. of the tracks. And uh, so we just got to watch this music come to life, Dana and I, and you know, a couple other folks, we were just sitting there going, we are getting the greatest <laughs> private concert in the world watching these guys. And um, if we needed to adjust anything, we could, you know, hey, we need a little bit bigger build at the end here because it's the grand finale of the concert or whatever. And they go, oh yeah, okay. And then they would adjust it. They're really uh, fantastic. It was so fun to watch. And then we would go back, cut it together. And just like the dialogue, the animators would be inspired by not just what they heard. In this case, we also set up know, like 40 Go GoPros all around the place so people could look at any detail. You know, the, the fingering of the saxophone player or the way uh, the bass player was holding the bow or whatever. So uh, it, was, it was pretty neat. I've never seen anything quite like the animation on your jazz parts. It's almost photorealistic, the movements and, and the, so were you were actually filming like his hands when he was on the piano and then animating after? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if I'm getting it correctly, uh, you have the Trent Reznor nine inch nails for the soul searching part where we're mm -hmm. looking for, and then the Batiste for the jazz's life part. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we wanted the world to have such contrast and it just felt like, you know, what better contrast to have against jazz than like a Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score, you know, so we had listened to a lot of their past scores and we just thought well, that'd be such a great like ethereal like different sound. And you also, I understand that you had um, cinematographer, the great Bradford Young, who did Selman Arrival. He was like a, um, a lighting consultant. So that, how does that work? Yeah, we, we initially brought him in um, 
to specifically talk to us about lighting black skin and mm -hmm. to talk to our lighters about that. And then, you know, he just started speaking a lot about his, how, how he grew up and a lot about his history and growing up with his grandparents. And he, uh, he started talking about like using lighting as a tool to even talk about things that like economics within, you know, like, like what kind of lighting you would have if you were like an apartment of a wealthy person versus lighting oh, wow. that would be, you know, with someone who, who didn't have much. And so the, the topics that he spoke about became much more of a cultural consultant rather, you know, he talked about lighting too, and was great help mm -hmm. to our, uh, both of our directors of photography, but um, yeah, he, he became like incredibly helpful. So Pete, I, the research on Pixar movies is, is pretty intense. I know that you used an emotions expert on Inside Out, Dasher Keltner, I think yeah. if I remember. Um, what about for mm -hmm. the great before? I mean, not many, we don't talk a lot about, or a lot of faiths don't talk about before life, <laughs> what actually happened. So what did the, you had research for this? How did the discussions go on this? Yeah, you're right. Not many that we've, we looked into Hinduism, you know, Native American, Christian, Islam, Aboriginal. Uh, we actually brought in a couple of shaman. To oh, talk wow. about, you know, they talk a lot about going on spiritual journeys and they, they were very uh, specific and articulate about what that looks like and so on. In the end, I think we largely just made it up based on what we needed for the film. You know, we wanted it to look welcoming and calm and, uh, um, definitely not of the earth. We came up with a whole idea that earth is got a lot of texture, a lot of detail. It's got hard edges and sharp corners. And then as you work your way up different layers of, of the universe, uh, and, and, you know, outside of physical reality into more spiritual realms, it starts to reduce and it just becomes more soft and round and fuzzy. And so that's like, you see here, you know, the, the great mm -hmm. before was largely kind of that and then as you go further up you know as joe is almost going to die you, you can watch the characters even uh reducing down simplifying into like points of light so we had a whole thought that way um this place is really born out of the uh, observation that we all seem, seem to have personality from the moment we're born you know looking at our own kids you go my son is this way my daughter's that way it's the same parents the same upbringing how is it they're so different mm -hmm. and there must be some place that gives us all that so each one of these pavilions these little white buildings that that the souls go through instill a different sense of of that person for them whether it be you know their humor or in source uh, resourcefulness or you know observant observant or whatever different attributes that they have and um we're hoping that the design and the movement really help uh, communicate what's going on in there. So this movie has a couple of firsts. Um, Dana, you were mentioning a little bit about how you worked with that before, but this is the first Pixar movie with a black lead character. Um, tell me a little bit about the work you put into that and, and understand that there was another brain trust, an African-American brain trust. Yeah, you know, we started with Kemp, our co-writer and um he was so involved you know with the entire production that we made him co-director and then we created a cultural trust um which consisted of uh some of the P pixar's black employees who we just brought into the some of them were on the crew already 
um, and some weren't, um, you know, from different jobs around the studio. And they would come into, like, we would have our brain trust meeting after a screening, and then we would have our cultural trust meeting. And it was a chance for them to just share any notes that maybe weren't sitting well with them or give specific ideas. Um, and then they'd also be a part of art reviews for reviewing um, characters in any of the culturally sensitive sets, like Joe's apartment or mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the, the barbershop. Um, and then we also created a kind of a external consultant trust, which is, you know, who the Bradford Youngs and Herbie Hancock, um, this great jazz musician, Terry Lynn Carrington. So just, uh, we were really lucky to also work with an external group that also was as part of the same process. Wow, that's amazing. It must be fun to go to work every day just to learn all these things and all these different yeah, trusts. <laughs> it, was, um, it was really cool. And another thing that this movie is the first with, it's the first movie in 23 Pixar films that won't premiere in the theaters, which must be a heartbreaker for you, Peter, sort of head of Pixar. Now, how, what was that a difficult decision? And how do you see the future of theaters going forward in the case of Disney Pixar? Yeah, it's definitely a disappointment. It's uh, and I, but I do think it's a bump. I don't think it's a new direction. I, I, I believe still, and uh, you know, our whole operation is counting on people going back to theaters at some point. Um, you know, um, I think obviously right now it's impossible, and we're so lucky to have Disney Plus as a platform uh, that releases our films around the world already really well. And so this film will premiere there on uh, Christmas. Um, we're hoping that uh, the films in the future will, uh, well, the projects we're doing right now are both theatrical and direct to streaming. So we have some that are, are tailored specifically for streaming, uh, but by and large, our, our big, our films, our feature length films are still counting on coming out into movies. We mm -hmm. get to sit together with other people in the dark and uh, listen to stories. So that you're still working towards that. I mean, this is not, this is just a, a blip. It's not the plan. Right. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. I was hoping I would have time for this question. And I think I do, Pete. A long time ago, I heard an interview with you when you started out, when you talked about working with kids. Um, you told a story about how you first walked into a group of kids and you said to them, what ideas do you have? Tell me everything you want to do. And the kids were like, I don't know. I haven't, uh, there was like too big of a question. Mm -hmm. um, and then next time you went to them, you had some flashcards with some constraints on them to sort of narrow down the topics, um, yeah. which I thought was kind of a brilliant thing. And you still do that. You still talk with kids that way. I haven't for a while. The project you're talking about, I, I had a film idea that I was going to ask them to come up with a story ask them to do all the voices and even the key poses. And then I was going to animate it. So it was going to be like in a kid's style, but with sophisticated animation. And I, I never quite followed through on that. I have all the elements sitting in a drawer, maybe someday. Okay. Um, oh, I can't own, wait for that. The kids yeah, <laughs> it was, it was pretty cool. It was called lion and rabbit go to space. So it's a, it's a, it's a compelling story for the ages. This movie, um, we did, you know, early on, the fun of these, they're kind of like weird funnels, right? At the beginning, you have a, a pin of an idea, and then it, it radiates out, and you keep coming up with all these ideas, and it spreads all over the place. And at varying times, you have to go cut, 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 cut. You have to prune them back 
Otherwise, the movies will just be a mess. You know, typically, at least for my films, I have way too many ideas mm -hmm. and we need to focus them in. And um, Brad Bird had this concept of pulling things under umbrellas, which uh, is basically like just making sure that everything that you're talking about resonates with the other things. Um, that and I'm not sure I'm explaining that in the best possible way, but you know, even if uh, something is talking about jazz, mm -hmm. uh, there are ways to shape it and tailor it so that it becomes bigger or that it becomes more resonant with the ideas and themes of how to live. You know, so uh, or even going to the barbershop. So you, you, the the goal in the long run is to take all these scenes that might be a little disparate and shape them such that they all connect on this one through line, this one thematic through line, which is usually why it takes us four or five years to make yeah. the movie. It, I can tell. It takes a while to yeah. figure that out. So finally, I've, this movie is, of course, about, you know, finding the true meaning and, and your passion. And this is coming out when we've all been, the whole world has been in quarantine. Um, we're sitting here, you know, waiting to, to get out and for better times. What have you guys come to think about in quarantine that you really feel gratitude about that sort of changed for you while during this pandemic period? Dana? I've always worked full-time. I'm a mother of, of two kids. And as hard as it's been being um, homeschooling, it's like you do have to just look at every day as uh, being grateful of the time that I'm getting with them. We'll never get that back. Um, whole new level of closeness for good or bad, I guess, in, in our family. <laughs> I think Pete? the, uh, the um, COVID has uh, prevented us from doing things that we used to kind of take for granted. And so in the absence of uh, being able to just go to a movie or meet a friend at a restaurant, you know, those things used to be kind of like, yeah, you know, that happens every day. I think by not being able to do it, we uh, have learned how great that is and how, how to appreciate and be grateful for those things that we may have passed by. Um, and that's really thematic with the film, <laughs> trying to figure, you know, like what are the things that are really important? Well, they're the small things. They're the things that you uh, might not even notice at the time unless you're really awake and alert to them. Well, thank you so much and, and very happy holidays. And I hope you stay safe and well. And, and... Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much to Pete Doctor and Dana Murray. Soul premieres on Christmas Day, December 25th. And thank you guys so much for listening. Have a very happy and safe holiday season. And thank you for your support this year. Doing this is such a blast. See you in a much better 2021. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.